Comic book, comic book, does whatever a book does. Read by us while drinking, incoherent rambling. Look out, this is our podcast. Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to the SJW Comic Book Club X Minisode number six. I'm your host, Monte, and for the minisodes, it's just me reading and analyzing the X-Men from start to finish, from the beginning in 1963, all the way up to the present. To hear my discussion with co-hosts Melissa and Veronica on the main episodes of the SJW Comic Book Club, tune into our Thursday episode where we talked about Miss Marvel, Volume 3, Numbers 1 through 5, the introduction of Kamala Khan. In this x minisode, I'm just going to be talking about the first chapter of Chris Claremont's classic X-Men event, The Phoenix Saga. This story was a key part of elevating the X-Men to be a mainstay of Marvel Comics, so let's go ahead and get into it. First couple of issues that I'm going to talk about are X-Men issues 97 through 100, The Sentinels Have Returned. The first issue is published February 1976, and then the last issue is published in August of 1976. And this story was written by Chris Claremont and drawn by David Cockrum. So the story opens with Professor Xavier having a nightmare about a battle deep in space. He's comforted by the new housekeeper, Moira McTaggart, and she encourages him to talk to the X-Men about his dreams. The scene then switches to Alex Summers and Lorna Dane, who are in New Mexico doing archaeology or something. Uh, They're studying for their PhDs. They're attacked and brainwashed by an unknown enemy who plans to use them to destroy Professor X. So then the scene switches to the X-Men, seeing Professor X off for his vacation to the Caribbean. However, they're attacked by Havok and Polaris, who have come for the Professor. The Professor manages to get away, but in the process, a plane is destroyed in their battle, and it's revealed at that point that Havok and Polaris are under the control of a character called Eric the Red, who's wearing the same costume that Cyclops was wearing in one of the previous issues when Cyclops fought the Demi-Men. So now his costume is being repurposed by this new villain. The X-Men do battle with the three of them, and eventually the battle comes to an end when Storm cuts loose on Polaris, injuring her and causing the others to flee with her. So Eric the Red and Havok take Polaris and they flee the scene. As they're flying away, Wolverine and Banshee arrive to help the rest of the X-Men. A little too late, they're not really needed anymore, but Wolverine does get mad at Cyclops because Cyclops refuses to shoot Havok and Polaris down with his optic blast. Wolverine calls him a coward, and then the two of them get in a fight that's stopped by Storm. But while they're fighting, Havok, Polaris, and Eric the Red do get away. And we don't know who Eric the Red is at this point, but he is going to come back in later stories, and he is pretty important to the Phoenix Saga. So moving to the next issue, X-Men number 98, the story opens with the X-Men enjoying Christmas in New York City. However, Jean and Cyclops are attacked by Sentinels during their dinner date. The Sentinels manage to capture Jean, and they also disable Cyclops, but the rest of the X-Men show up to try to help uh, stop the Sentinels from taking Cyclops as well. Only Storm has any luck destroying any of the Sentinels, and in the process of trying to stop the Sentinels from taking Jean and Cyclops, Banshee and Wolverine end up being kidnapped. So the Sentinels get away with Jean, Banshee, and Wolverine, and the rest of the X-Men are left behind. Professor X, who's on vacation in the Caribbean, is also captured by some Sentinels, along with his friend uh, Dr. Peter Corbo. Or actually, Corbo is not captured. Uh, He's just kind of left in the water because he's not a mutant, so the Sentinels don't care about him, but they do take Professor X off. 
We later find out that the new Sentinel program is being headed by Stephen Lang, who was introduced in an earlier story. Stephen is basically taunting the X-Men, and he ends up getting into an argument with Jean Grey, who insults him pretty badly, so then he ends up hitting her. And hitting Jean Grey enrages Wolverine, and Wolverine is uh, able to escape from his restraints, and then he frees Banshee and Jean. So now Wolverine, Banshee, and Jean are all freed. They fight their way through various goons and sentinels, but they're eventually unable to escape because they're being kept on a space station. So they do end up breaking out of the station, but then they're just kind of left suspended in space. Uh, And obviously none of them have the ability to fly in space or direct their flight in any way. So they're just hanging out there dying. Meanwhile, Dr. Peter Corbo, who was with Professor X when he was captured, arrives at the X-Mansion to inform the remaining X-Men that the others have been taken into space. So Corbo has figured out where the Sentinels have taken the other X-Men, and he tells the rest of them, and they formulate a plan to go and save them. And that brings us into the next issue, where the captured X-Men are rescued from the void of space by the Sentinels. The Sentinels don't want them to die for some reason, even though Stephen Lang and the Sentinels keep saying that their goal is to annihilate all mutants. Uh, but they just keep them alive for some reason, and it's not really explained why. So then the freed X-Men continue formulating their plan with Dr. Corbo. They're going to basically go up into space in a rocket. They find out which space station the X-Men are being held on, and they're going to go up there and try to save them. It's also revealed during this time that the reappearance of the Sentinels has caused a wave of anti-mutant hysteria throughout the United States. And that's pretty indicative of like how prejudice and bigotry works in real life. Like once something happens to embolden bigots, then they just kind of come out of the woodwork. And that seems to be what's happening here. The Sentinels are a symbol of oppression of mutants. And once they reappear, it gives normal people permission to act out their violent fantasies regarding mutants. So as the X-Men prepare to launch into space, we're reminded of Storm's claustrophobia because she's very, very uncomfortable in the helmet and the spacesuit. And then Colossus also explains that he's also really uncomfortable and afraid because his brother was a Russian cosmonaut who died on a mission. So being in a rocket, being in a spacesuit makes him think about his brother's last moments and what they would have been like and makes him really afraid. And this is the first time that we really see any kind of Uh, characterization from Colossus other than that he's just a big nice guy. This is the first we really understand something detailed about his backstory. We also learn that there's massive solar radiation, that there's some giant solar flare that's expected to go off at any minute. So that's why that's the excuse that uh, Dr. Corbo is using for shooting this uh, rocket off into space early. He's saying that the radiation is going to make it impossible for the rocket to shoot off, so we have to get it up there as soon as possible. The scene then switches to Ireland, where someone is trying to get a message to Banshee, only to be killed by an unknown assailant. This doesn't have anything to do with the story that we're learning about now, but it is one of those things that Chris Claremont does to seed future storylines, so this is actually the prelude to the next storyline. And the guy who ends up being killed is Banshee's lawyer, his family lawyer, and he's trying to communicate something to Banshee about their estate. So we'll find out in the next story what exactly that is. In space, the X-Men's rocket is attacked by Sentinels, and Peter Corbo is able to pilot the ship into the space station, basically just crashing it into the space station. But it doesn't explode or, you know, nothing bad happens. They're just able to leave the ship after it crashes through the space station's walls. 
In the process of that though, Storm was ejected from the spaceship. She is, however, able to use her powers to destroy the attacking sentinels and then maneuver herself over to the space station. So Storm seems to be the only one who has a power set that's able to actually be used in space. And the explanation for it is that she's manipulating the solar winds and solar weather. So I guess we can add that to Storm's power set, that she's able to manipulate the weather in space as well as the weather on Earth. So the X-Men destroy a bunch of Sentinels in the space station, and they remark on how poorly made they are. And this also lets the X-Men that haven't met Stephen Lang know that they're dealing with someone different from Bolivar Trask. Like it's not one of the Trask Sentinels that they're dealing with. These are kind of inferior copies. Cyclops has the team split up, with the majority of the X-Men going to rescue Banshee and Wolverine, while he and Dr. Corbo go to rescue Jean and Professor X. And Cyclops is really emotional at this point. He's not really being the stoic, strong leader that we kind of expect him to be, um, which is kind of weird because like Jean's been in danger before and he hasn't responded this way. So I don't, I don't know if maybe it's his fear because Thunderbird just died a few issues ago. Uh, so he's thinking he's going to lose another team member and it's going to be the one that he cares about the most. But he's being really emotional and a little reckless and rash in this issue. So Cyclops and Corbo eventually find Jean and Professor X and Cyclops begins beating just the ever-living shit out of Stephen Lang, which unfortunately leaves him open to an attack from behind. So Cyclops is so busy with Stephen, he's not paying attention to anything around him and he gets blasted by an unknown attacker. The rest of the X-Men arrive, and they find that what looks like the original X-Men are attacking Cyclops. So that goes into the final issue, X-Men issue 100. In this issue, the new X-Men are fighting the original X-Men. Eventually, the new X-Men figure out that this isn't the original X-Men at all. These are all imposters. And Wolverine ends up attacking Jean Grey, or the Jean Grey imposter, really brutally. He rips her apart with his claws, and everyone's, you know, horrified by this because it's just an extremely brutal thing for him to do and seems kind of unnecessary at the time. But once he has torn this Jean Grey imposter apart, it's revealed that she was a machine the whole time. So it's not really Jean Grey, and it's not really any person. It's just a robot. So that gives them permission to go ahead and destroy the robots, uh, completely cut loose on them and not hold back at all. The real Cyclops arrives and attacks Stephen Lang once again. Stephen attempts to escape in a pod, but then Jean Grey uses her powers to throw the controls, and the pod crashes, which seemingly kills Lang. And this is the first time I think that we've seen Jean Grey actually use her powers in a way that led to someone's death. I don't think that she meant to kill him, but she definitely did. Like she was in control of the ship and she crashed it into a wall, basically, which seems to kill him. The X-Men then prepare to leave, only to find that the solar flare referenced earlier has arrived. So the shuttle that they're planning to escape in, unfortunately the pilot area of it isn't shielded enough, so whoever's piloting the plane is probably going to die from the solar radiation. Dr. Corbo thinks that he's the only one who's going to be able to fly the space shuttle. However, because he's just a normal human, he's only going to last a few seconds with all that radiation. He'll probably die really quickly, and then there'll be no one to pilot the ship. So Jean Grey comes up with a solution for this. She's going to use her telepathy to download the information from Corbo's brain on how to pilot the spaceship. And then she's going to use her telekinesis to shield her from the most harmful radiation. 
And she's, you know, really upbeat about, or not upbeat, but she's really optimistic about it, uh, telling Cyclops that she's sure that she can protect herself and there's nothing to worry about. Of course, he doesn't believe her because he knows that that's not the case. It's a massive solar flare that's coming, and she's never used her powers to defend her to that degree. Um, so he's going to try to stop her in order to prevent him from doing that. Jean uses her powers to knock him out and put him into a sort of mini coma and then goes ahead to get ready to pilot the ship. While she's on her way there, Wolverine confronts her kind of in the same way as Cyclops, but in his own, you know, of course, it's going to be more aggressive because it's Wolverine. So he's confronting her saying, you know, what are you trying to prove and blah, blah, blah. And she actually gets really angry at him for talking to her that way. Like he's being kind of disrespectful and paternalistic. And she's basically like, look, I've been on this team longer than you. I, you know, know my own limits and I know exactly what I'm doing. I don't need you to tell me what I can and can't do. So then he just kind of leaves. And this is also the first time that we see Wolverine actually showing concern for Jean, like in that kind of way. So it's sort of the beginnings of that love triangle between Wolverine, Jean, and Scott or Cyclops. And then the final conversation that Jean has is with Storm. And when Storm starts talking to her, she's like, oh, you're going to do this too? Like, you're my best friend and you're going to sit here and lecture me about this decision that I'm making when I know exactly what I'm doing. And Storm is like, you know, she's not going to lecture her. She just wants to say goodbye. Um, and it's a really it's a really sweet moment. I really like the friendship between Jean Grey and Storm, um, which I'll talk about more later. But basically, the rest of the X-Men go back into the shielded part of the shuttle that's going to protect them from the radiation, the rest of the X-Men and Dr. Corbo. And then Jean pilots the ship. Her telekinetic shield holds up for a while, but eventually, of course, it falls apart and she's seemingly killed. Um, the last thing that she does is she screams Scott, and it's a really impactful panel. I think the art overall in these issues is really, really great, but it's especially great, like, the way that Jean Grey is drawn when she's using her powers a little more forcefully than she normally would is really, really cool. Um, and in this scene, it definitely is. In the end scene where you see the radiation coming in and the fire from the solar flares, and then you also see the the kind of fire, the telekinetic fire of her powers, and it just looks really cool. So that's the end of the first chapter of the Phoenix Saga. Uh, it's a really, really, really good story, I think. I think the Phoenix Saga overall is really great, and this is a really great way to start it off. So the Phoenix Saga is going to introduce some key concepts with the X-Men that going forward are going to be really, really important. One of those is the Shi'ar aliens that Professor X is having all these dreams about and that Eric the Red, you know, he's one of them. At this point, they haven't necessarily identified who the Shi'ar are. We've only seen them in Professor X's dreams and then we've seen Eric the Red, but we haven't seen their true form, so to speak. So we're going to learn more about them as the Phoenix Saga continues. Then there's also the concepts of like the Phoenix Force, the love triangle between Cyclops, Jean, and Wolverine, Storm as an emerging leader. You know, Storm is very commanding in these issues in a way that she hasn't been before. Uh, before, Storm has been kind of, she's very kind, she's very regal, she's very gracious, but she hasn't really been commanding. In this issue, we've seen her give commands to people, even when Scott is around, who Scott is technically the leader, and they, you know, listen to her before they would even listen to Scott. So we see Storm as an emerging leader, which eventually she does become the leader of the team. So in that way, Phoenix Saga is really important to the continuity of the X-Men. 
Uh, as I said before, I really like the artwork. I think it's drawn really great. Uh, David Cockrum is a really great artist and everything from like the character designs to the backgrounds to the way that the action is drawn, it's all just very, very, very good. But the most important character in this story is Jean Grey. And Jean Grey has become a much more interesting and much more well-rounded character under Claremont's writing. Like, he writes her to be so much more powerful than she was before. She's not the damsel in distress that she was in the 60s. Like, there's times when she needs to be rescued, of course, but that's not her only character trait. Everyone needs help sometimes, and Jean Grey is no different. But she's also able to provide help all the time. She's often rescuing she's often rescuing the male characters. There's one scene in particular where Wolverine has been captured by some sentinels, or a sentinel is just holding him, and Jean Grey is able to use her powers to free him and destroy the sentinel at the same time, which is something that I don't think in the 60s Jean Grey would be able to do necessarily. So it's really great to see Jean Grey coming into her own as a character and to see Claremont willing to write her as something other than the damsel in distress in a romantic love triangle. Like another thing that the Phoenix Saga really does is it gives Jean Grey a storyline outside of romance. I think I said it before a few minisodes ago that Jean Grey, you know, basically her entire storyline is the will they won't they with Scott. And then also eventually there's a third character introduced named Ted Roberts. So we kind of have that with Wolverine where there's, you know, the tension between her and Scott and then Wolverine coming in to complicate things even more. But I wouldn't say that that's the only storyline that Jean Grey has. I mean, it's not, I wouldn't say, it definitely isn't. I mean, you have the, the Phoenix, her powers growing and her trying to figure out how she's going to use these new powers, whether or not they're going to control her we eventually see her being a little bit afraid of her new powers, but then also really liking the new power that she has. So I think that's a much more interesting storyline than the romantic storylines that she's had so far. Um, so I really appreciate it. Also, Storm is very well written in these issues. We learn in, um, I believe it's issue 99, that she took an oath when she was a child never to use her powers to kill. And one of the main things that she's concerned about and being on the X-Men team is that she has people who rely on her. And sometimes in order to protect those people, you know, what if she has to use her powers to kill? What's she going to do in that case? And the whole way that that comes about is when she uses her powers to destroy a sentinel and she notes, you know, she just thinks to herself that it sounded almost human the way that it screamed. So yeah, it just, it sets her up as a very empathetic character. She's also the first female character that's introduced that doesn't actually have a romantic storyline. She's still drawn as being very beautiful and like Colossus, Nightcrawler, all of the males on the team are attracted to her. Colossus especially is especially protective of her, but that storyline is not central to her character. Like it's not a romantic storyline that her character revolves around. And I really appreciate that. I know Storm is a black woman, so there's a little bit of, like, there's a trope in fiction, sci-fi, drama, etc., pretty much every genre, where black women a lot of times are not viewed as um, worthy of romance. And I don't necessarily think that that's what's happening here, because a lot of characters acknowledge Storm as being beautiful, as being smart, as being, you know, all the things that would make her a great romantic partner. But she's not necessarily interested in 
her teammates that way. She's there to be a member of the team, not to be someone's girlfriend. So I think that that's really great. And I think it's great that we finally have a female character in X-Men now, what, in 1976, uh, that doesn't have a romantic storyline kind of dragging her down. Last thing that I guess I'll talk about is the characters Wolverine, Nightcrawler, and Colossus. They are kind of background characters, kind of like I said, we learn a bit more about Wolverine when we see him uh, interacting with Jean. We see a bit of a soft side, weirdly, not not really a soft side, but like a, a different side to him that's a little bit softer, I guess. And Nightcrawler and Colossus are still kind of fading into the background, but we do learn more about them through the course of this story as well. The villain, Stephen Lang and the Sentinels, I don't really have a whole lot to say about them. Stephen Lang isn't a really interesting villain. He's very one-sided, and all he wants to do is destroy mutants. We don't know why, and it doesn't really matter. So I'm not really going to say a whole lot about him. So yeah, it's a great story, and now that I've talked about it, I guess I'll go ahead and rank it. I have read and ranked 15 stories so far. At the top, I have Giant Size X-Men number one, Deadly Genesis. At number two, I have X-Men numbers 12 and 13, Where Walks the Juggernaut. And then skipping down to the bottom of the list, I've got at number 14, X-Men issues 54 through 56, The Living Pharaoh. And then at 15, X-Men number 65, Before I'd Be Slave, which is the worst thing that I've read so far. And I think that The Sentinels Have Returned, or The Phoenix Saga Part 1, is one of the better things that I have read. I think that I'm actually going to put this story up at the top, I think, replacing Giant Size X-Men number one. And that's just because you learn so much more about the characters, like the characters are becoming so much more rich and well-rounded and well-explained. And then also just the artwork in this issue, I re- or in these issues, I really, really really enjoy i think it's probably the best artwork that i've seen so far especially the action scenes so new number one is going to be x-men issues 97 through 100 the sentinels have returned or the phoenix saga part one even though that was only one story arc it's you know it was really long and i had quite a bit to say about it so i'm just gonna leave it at that uh next week i'll talk about part two of the phoenix saga like i said before Please check out our Thursday episode where I'll be talking to Melissa and Veronica about Miss Marvel, volume number three, numbers one through five. And that's it for today. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your week.